This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. Put in context of the work we're doing now, we, we need to be building that capacity of our staff and our students to be able to respond to change, to be able to be agile and adapt. I guess that's the complexities that we're, we're looking at as we consider the future of education. That's Jen Buchanan reflecting on the work she does with the Future Schools Alliance, helping teachers and students to build capacity to respond to change. Jen is my guest today on Central Station. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik. Jen Buchanan is an educator with truly global experience. Having worked in a variety of contexts, she brings a wealth of insight when it comes to helping schools consider what the future of education might look like. It can be a confronting process. As Jen explains from her own experience, things like having to unlearn or let things go can often be a part of making the first steps towards a more innovative or high-impact future. Our conversation starts by taking a brief look back at Jen's time at Green School in Bali, where the direction of the learning program is clear, and that is towards an education revolution. Jen, your story sounds really amazing. It spans the globe, lots of different places, different communities. It sounds like you are very well-traveled. I wonder if I could just draw your attention to a video that I watched on YouTube years ago. I can't remember how many years ago, but it seems like a long time now. And it was about a school called Green School. And at the time, I think I was looking for inspiration myself. And I came across this thing and I thought, wow, does that does something like that actually exist? That's incredible. It's got, it has no resemblance whatsoever to my experience of education. So there was an element of captivation for me. What, what is that about? And is it still there today? Oh, Green School Bali, yes. Um, now, my, my background, I'd actually learned Indonesian um, as a subject at university, as a, a second teaching area. And so I'd always had this huge affinity with uh, Indonesia and had spent some time there during my university years. And I was actually overseas already working as an international teacher. I was in, um, in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. And uh, it was a former head of department of mine from, from Australia that gave me a call and said, look, I don't know if you're interested, but there's a, a position coming up at this school, Green School in Bali. And it, um, it sounds like something that might be of, of interest to you and probably a similar story to yours. I, I looked it up and was just completely inspired um, and thought, look, I've got to give this a go. And uh, there I arrived at uh, Green School in Bali and um, you know, I, I still remember my, my first impressions of walking into this, this campus um, of a, a physical environment that was just stunning. You know, you've got to picture these soaring bamboo structures and, um, and it was a, a place where not only the ideas, but the curriculum all pivoted around the ideas and the concepts of sustainability. sustainability. And it really was something that was infused across all aspects of the school. Um, and I guess for me, Green School in Bali was a place that not only for me, or not only challenged my ideas around what school should be, it challenged, it opened up this world of possibilities of what school could be. And um, my fondest memories are heading out into the surrounding villages with my classes to, to learn from local craftsmen, um, things like making batik or, or learning wood carving. You know, there were times where I remember dressing up in my kabaya to attend to a Balinese ceremony at the school or moments where, 
you know, one of my other fond memories is just sharing a, a daily lunch that was cooked on on the school campus. And this was eaten communally in the heart of school. Oh, wow. And so it was just beautiful. And I often refer, when I look back on that time, I refer to it as a time of unlearning. And I guess that was summed up as a, an experience where I just had to open my, my way, open up ways of new ways of teaching. And I guess... I was in conversation recently and I was saying, you know, my time at Green School was really defined by, by three key areas. And that's, I felt like after my experience there, when I did leave Green School, I really embraced this idea of that we're all lifelong learners. Um, the other one was that we need to spend time nurturing relationships. You know, it's not only our relationship with, um, with people around us, but that relationship we have with self and that relationship we have with our environment. And third, the other key area that really resonated with me was that learning can happen anywhere. It can happen anytime. And real authentic learning is that learning that connects us with the real world. Mm. And yeah, I guess that's it. When I look back on that time, that's what stays with me um, and was certainly part of my experience there. I just want to ask you something very practical, though. In terms of a school, do, would we think about that as a a secondary school was it K to twelve? What was the age of the learners there? Yeah, it was a K to twelve school. Um, I taught predominantly in what we'd say middle school and the, the secondary school. It's an international cohort of um, young people from around the world. So not only have you got this international school um, in in Bali, you've got a cohort of students from a rich tapestry of um, of countries and places around the world. So that in itself. Um, is uh, an interesting kind of number of uh, cultures to be immersed in. And then on top of that, there was a local scholar program as well. So there was a, um, I think an aim is around 20% of the uh, young people at the school are local scholars from the Balinese community. So it is actually an international school with an international curriculum. Yes, it is. Though the curriculum is designed um, by the, the staff in consultation as well with the students. Um, so going back many, many years ago at its initial conception, it was an IB, uh, not an IB, sorry, it was an IGCSE curriculum that quickly evolved from there when the school realised that to be true to the ideas and the concepts around sustainability, the curriculum had to be far more responsive to the environment in which it found itself located in. And if I give a practical example, um, you look, my awareness of sustainability when I arrived at Green School was maybe having a keep cup for morning coffee and <laughs> yeah, you know, putting out the recycling. <laughs> pretty much that's it. Carry, you know, carry a bag when I went shopping. And um, <laughs> on those occasions where I remembered, Green School challenged me on every level. And um, in the visual arts program, we got to a point where many of the materials that we were using had no negative impact on the environment. So on a Monday, we'd make all our own paper that we were going to use from the week, uh, use in the week. Um, we'd source pigments to make our own paints. Um, and even we got to a point where we would uh, began planting plants and made a, a dye garden so that we could harvest these plants to make natural dyes. And I almost referred to it as a, um, a slow art, just going yeah. back and being really conscious and mindful around the materials that we were using. So there's, that's a, that's a hands-on real example of, of what, it might, wow. what it looked like on the ground for me. To, to be conscious and mindful, that's a really interesting idea in education, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And just even have that opportunity to slow it down, um, to not 
not feel rushed and to be really, I, I think made that point about nurturing those relationships that we have with our environment. And it was a real key point. I remember standing there and and washing some some pallets we'd been using. And we'd only previously had a, you know, had a conversation around palm oil and the devastations of that in Kalimantan. Mm. And there I was cleaning some pallets and thinking, oh my goodness, I'm I'm not connected to my environment. I don't know where these uh, yeah. these paints have come from, what toxins are in there. And that's where it began. That was the starting point of really this journey on um, looking to be far more sustainable and eco-art approach to, to the visual arts. Let me just come back to another word you used a few moments ago, and that was about unlearning. If I think about a school like that, I mean, it, on one on one level, it sounds like, oh, okay, so there's an internationally recognized curriculum. But on, on another level, it sounds like it's connecting with people in a very, very different way. And obviously, the physical environment is very different. You're talking about bamboo structures. I mean, here in Australia, when I think about a modern school, I think about glass and steel and lots of air conditioning. The... The culture that you've experienced, however, seems to be so far away from what we might think about in broad terms about Australian education. And then you went there and had an, an experience of unlearning. When you talk to people here about that experience of unlearning, what what do you mean by that? And how do people respond to that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because I, I say it with such ease now. I'm just like, oh, yes, my, my time of unlearning. But it was filled with huge waves of vulnerability. Absolutely. It, I remember many occasions thinking, oh, my goodness, I just want to go back and, you know, teach what I've always known, a bit of surrealism or, a, you know, a bit of Van Gogh <laughs> sunflowers or, you know, branch out and do a bit of street art. You know, it was far more comfortable to keep, um, to, to operate in existing paradigms. Um, and I certainly did arrive there with a hard drive full of lesson plans and a, and a, a box of resources. Um, and I guess we we have to acknowledge that when we when we're looking at new ways of approaching things, or as I said, this unlearning, it does come with having to let some things go, and that can be a little uncomfortable. Um, and we talk about this quite a bit, at, um, which I'm sure we'll get into. But the FSA is um, when we work with leadership teams about um, supporting staff as as we go through go through change. Um, so for myself, yes, in answer to that question. The unlearning process was was sometimes uh, was challenging. It was, you know, I had to reflect on what was the the behaviours, the patterns of behaviours I brought to the to the school. What were my beliefs? What were my values that defined not only how I viewed education but how I saw the world? And I had to be open to allowing those to be challenged. Um, and it really. I felt like in my second year there, um, a sense of, I guess, because I could say evolution of just, it was like the blinkers came off and I was a, you know, supportive staff, um, amazing student. And it just allowed this sense of freedom of just, you know, it's okay. It's okay to step out of those existing paradigms and, and try things that for me at that time were new, definitely. I can just imagine when you say that you arrived with a hard drive full of lesson plans and a box full of resources, and then you went started or started to go through the process of letting go. I can imagine that that's already starting to make people feel rather kind of hot under the collar. <laughs> what do you mean I've got to let all that go? <laughs> just work so hard to build it all up. <laughs> Absolutely, and hugely confronting as an educator. Um, you know, you've spent fifteen years honing your craft and. Um, 
and then to arrive in an environment where where that's challenged and um, to be authentic and responsive to this beautiful beautiful environment I found myself in. Um, yep, absolutely had to let a lot of it go. Now we talk about that school being international. However, it is in Bali and it is in a, a very uh, specific cultural environment, if I can put it that way. Yes. Just, just how important is it to be immersed in the surrounding culture, despite the fact that you're in amongst, uh, as you described, an international group of young people? How important is immersion to make sure that that whole experience actually works? Yeah, that's a, that's a really important question. Um, look, the, the Balinese community, just such a beautiful culture to be immersed in. And um, we often had ceremonies in the school. Um, we had a temple there on campus and we would stop as a, as a whole school and um, put on our kabayas, our traditional clothing and, and join in these ceremonies. Um, one of the most powerful things was uh, being able to speak some Indonesian and learning some Bahasa uh, Bali. And that that authenticity of being able to connect on that level, being able to to speak the local language, that opens doorways. That allows you to, um, I guess, to be invited in, to be part of a a community outside of your own. Um, one of the most powerful experiences I have actually is in my my little village. It was a good half an hour away from from Green School, and. Um, there I used to teach a, a volunteer English class with all the local children in, in, the, um, in the village. And that was, a, that was a doorway to being accepted into the community. It was um, like, I'll never be part of the Balinese community. I'll never be Balinese, but it certainly gave me some strong connections. And these are friendships that have um, lasted there, or uh, are friendships I'm still in contact with today back here in Australia. Broadly speaking, you could describe that that whole concept as as an innovative way to approach education. I mean, you've got you've got a unique environment, you've got a unique culture, you've got a broad range of people from all over the world teaching an international curriculum. It's all it's very fresh. It's very it's very new. When you work with schools here locally, uh, do you find that there is a similar? Um, appreciation for for innovation or do you come across people who are thinking look I'm so busy and and I really love the comment you made earlier about uh, slowing things down because we always hear about teachers being time poor and the curriculum being very full mm. very very compressed and uh, very uh, crowded I believe is the word when you then try to help people with experiences like that in your past are people just exhausted by what you say to them Look, it's an interesting question. Absolutely. Um, I think I'm just going to go back a little bit. And I think maybe first, let's just define the word innovation, because um, that can sometimes become a little bit complex. And mm. just actually, So in regards to the work we do at Future Schools Alliance, when we're referring to innovation, we're talking about the ways in which we can stay connected and relevant and up to date so that the education we're providing our young people is the most relevant and I guess responsive to their needs in this world that's facing unprecedented change. And so I guess in answer to no, I don't necessarily come across people who are exhausted by innovation in this context, but it is, it taps into something I said earlier of it's equally important to recognize that when you ask people, when you're asking people to step into this new space and to explore new ideas, it can be quite vulnerable. And there can be a sense of ambiguity. Um, you know, we're not quite sure where we're going. 
sometimes easier to just stay in those existing paradigms. And I guess that's why as, as we consider like the future of schooling, it's imperative that leadership in schools who are looking to evolve a school culture, um, that they ensure they're building the capacity of all its people um, so that people are, are willing to adapt. And that is be able to respond to social shifts as they, as, that they see around them. Mm. Um, we often have these conversations it's not just our students we're preparing for this rapidly changing future of work it's it's all of us um staff included uh so that's a that's i find that quite an interesting conversation you know i was recently reading this book by uh heather mcgowan the adaptation advantage and in it so right at the beginning of the book and she says like this moment right here right now this is the slowest it's ever going to be it just gets quicker from here. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and that in itself is quite powerful um, to put in context of the work we're doing now. We, we need to be building that capacity for our staff and our students to be able to respond to change, to be able to be agile and adapt. Um, and, and I guess that's the complexities that we're, we're looking at as we consider the future of education. I'm really glad you describe it that way because we often talk about being innovative for the sake of the students and for the sake of their education. However, the teachers and the, or the staff at the school are inextricably linked with that. We can't look at those two things in isolation. And so working with the teachers to be able to facilitate that, I imagine, would require quite a bit of change. And, you know, you talk about how, how you work with people to help the whole school community move forward. Can you, can you provide a, a, a practical example of how you might work with, say, um, a leadership team? So, for example, I'm, I'm curious, how does this work? Do, do you go and speak to the senior leadership team first and do, then, do they then trickle that down or do you get a representative group of teachers to come together? Do you look, is it a flat, structured approach? How does that work? Generally, I, um, well, first I'll explain what my role is. Um, so with Future Schools Alliance, um, I have this wonderful position of convener of communities, which means I get to work with leadership teams across uh, our future schools in Australia, New Zealand and internationally. And just to define again another word there, the, the word community, um, in the context of the work that I do at FSA, when I refer to community, I'm talking about the ways that we can build social ecosystems, um, social ecosystems or communities that share best practice um, when we are looking to explore, evolve and transform the way we do things in relation to the future of education. And so to answer the question, um, Generally, what I find it's leaders who reach out to the Future Schools Alliance are leaders or leadership teams who are ready to, to explore the future of schooling. And so they already have an aspirational vision of where they want to lead their school. Um, but now they're looking for ways in which they can engage all people in their schools to evolve a culture to realise that vision. Um, and the FSA has a strength in building this strong professional network. So, and it's exciting, you know, you're part of a global collaboration of innovators who are, are focused on transforming learning communities and uh, co-evolving the future of education. So on a very practical sense, um, only a few weeks ago, we had a, a webinar with Parsi Salberg and uh, Future Schools Alliance member schools were able to join that conversation and have a, a real life conversation with Parsi online. Mm. Um, 
and then we have I was just in just before I jumped on this call this morning I was actually on a call to Sal Gordon at uh, Green School in Bali oh, wow. and we've got a virtual school tour coming up and this is an opportunity for our member schools to jump online again um, have a conversation with Sal in the hope that it'll be the catalyst for exploring further ideas and considering other perspectives um, so we also I'm haven't there's another part to the FSA as well we have our, our community organization and we're currently 70 schools but we also um, do a bit of deeper diving with some of our schools so they might reach out to us and say look we're actually ready to to accelerate this and that's um, our, our professional development arm and I know that right as I'm speaking Peter and Dave are up in uh, in uh, Newcastle and working quite intensely with a, a school up there and that can look like anything from a leadership um, professional development where it's two days on site and then followed with a series of virtual meetings. Um, but again, it's designed in response to where a school is at. So rather going in with a program and saying, right, this is a one fit that fits for all schools. It's about this nice negotiation back and forward with a school of really understanding where it is they're, they're wanting to head, what is that aspirational vision, and then working from both sides to, um, to plan that journey with them. What sort of time frame are we talking about? Let's say a school calls you up and says, as you, as, as you just mentioned, we're ready to move this forward. What kind, and, and I think, look, the answer to this question will, will vary enormously, I know that, but um, what kind of timeframes are we talking about for a school to make any kind of meaningful progress into what we call a, a, like a, a new way of thinking or a new space or a, a, an innovative approach? How long does that take? Yeah, it's a, uh, a, very, a question with variables to it. Um, generally... I find a school will give me a call um, or send me an email and say, look, we're interested in just kind of exploring what this is about. We're, we're just starting our journey. And this is where they might choose to, to become a, a member school. Um, and that's an online virtual support, um, a series of events that we have each term that allow our members, it doesn't matter where you are in, in Australia, to come online to meet and uh, to engage in either webinars or think tanks. Um, what else we have there? School tours. And we have our momentum series, which is our theory of change. Um, and that's online every week. And then to stay behind and to really build those professional networks. So they're, they're designed as a support for a journey that's just beginning that exploratory stage into the future of schooling. The next stage, um, like I said, the deeper dive. At the moment, we've got a, a few schools we're working with where they're doing a really intense um, year-long program of evolving that culture in the in the leadership team and, and beyond. And then the, the third one we have, that's an even deeper dive. We have a, so at the moment, three schools working quite intensely with is as um, innovation partners. And that's a three-year commitment to evolve the school. So we're about a year in with um, with those schools at the moment. And that's a pretty intense um, focus program with, with both David and Peter, the, the co-directors of the Future Schools Alliance. So how does a school get in touch with you? How do they, how do they make the jump? I mean, you, you mentioned just a moment ago that it was 
perhaps even just as simple as an email? Is it, is, is it just a phone call? Is it, is it, so I, I'm trying to put my, myself into the mind or the position of a school leader who, who says, right, I'm ready. I need to do something. Can I just pick up the phone and, and start that journey? It really is that simple. Um, oh. It's an email. <laughs> That's good news. <laughs> That's it. It's a, you know, and I do, I get excited. I, I love my role. Um, I get to to work with some of the most innovative thinkers across Australia. And um, and I think that's the, the most powerful thing, powerful thing about the Future Schools Alliance is, especially when we have our think tanks, you know, this, this collective wisdom that we have across schools in Australia. I'll tell you what, when, when they all get together and um, engage in a conversation, there's just many of those kind of wow moments and you kind of go, right, we're okay here in Australia. We're in good hands. <laughs> Um, so yes, it's as simple as a, an email, um, and there's a contact button on the Future Schools Alliance website. So that's futureschools.education, um, and that'll be a response for me, and we'll set up and we'll have a chat. Janet, sounds like you're doing fantastic work. It's been a real inspiration talking to you. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Thank you, Colin. Working with great educators, making a real impact, inspiring indeed. If Jen's story has resonated with you and you'd like to get in touch, then make sure you visit the Future Schools Alliance website, futureschools.education. And for more great stories from inspiring educators from around Australia, subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Central. To find out more, visit the website, central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Thanks for listening.